0: This is gonna be a fun one, actually. It's gonna be like no kit talk whatsoever.
1: Yeah, pretty much, except for, except for the one question. But oh, right. Yeah. But I guess that's not camera specific.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm excited to go an entire week without mentioning how I want to buy a new lens, <laughs> except for just mentioning it now. <laughs>
2: Well, I'm not making any promises yet. the the hour is going to be long, Josh, if you think about it that way. Uh,
1: and I'm going to I'm going to tempt you guys as well with my my Fuji celebration, right? So Oh, it's yeah? going to be awful. Oh yeah. We do have to talk about that. Throw that into the outline. <laughs> Before we do anything else, uh, we should just congratulate our winner. We we hosted a think tank contest where we asked you guys to choose between messenger bags and backpacks, and our winner is at Ely Hovercraft on Twitter. Woo! Um, so congratulations, you you have gotten to choose uh, a bag of your choice. Um, to choose a bag of your choice, yes, you've selected a, a bag of your choice from the think tank catalog, and uh, we hope you enjoy it.
2: And a pretty. A pretty dang good bag at that.
1: Yes, yeah. Well there there are not that many poor bags in their catalogue. I mean they're they're all pretty great, but I I like that there's so many options available, you know, for whatever you need. Right, fair enough.
2: Which one did he go with in the end? He or she, sorry. The Trifecta ten DSLR bag. Yeah. Ooh. It's a backpack for those of you keeping score, the team backpack. Uh, took away the victory in the end. Yeah, yeah. Go team backpack. Go team backpack. It wasn't even close. I mean, I was expecting more of a fight from Team Messenger. Yeah,
1: yeah. We didn't. Uh, we didn't really get a whole lot of. A whole lot of support on on my side of things, but oh well,
0: you know. I have to have another fight in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. But we'll link uh, we'll link this bag in the show notes in case anyone else wants to take a peek at it as well. Um, yeah. it seems like a great one. I haven't tried this one myself.
0: It's got that little side pouch, hey, that side accessibility. Ooh, yeah. That was. I, I think it's the best part about having a backpack.
1: Yeah, it's pretty clever. Um, they've they've got a lot of interesting designs in there. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, Ely Hovercraft enjoys his bag and lets us know um and maybe sends us some pictures of it as well once it shows up yeah hint hint
0: (laughs) well congratulations again
1: we also got a question which is actually it was a really interesting question Uh, thomas on twitter has asked us why are iso limits so very high when we never seem to shoot past 6400 or twelve thousand eight hundred. um and that's that's a pretty great question um iso of course is a is a digital term that's that's mimicking the old film sensitivity, which was something that you couldn't change. Um, nowadays, we it's, it's another control on the camera that we can adjust. Um, and typically, when you think of ISO and high ISO, you hear people telling you to avoid them because you get a lot of noise in your images. So this is a reasonable question. Why bother having all those high ISOs available if every bit of public wisdom says not to use them?
0: And and we we were talking about this ahead of time, and we had said like, if that's the case, then why do we create cars that drive three hundred kilometers an hour? Exactly. When the speed limit just says a hundred kilometers an hour. Yes. Or one hundred and twenty if you live in Spain. Yeah. (laughs) Or 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 no or no speed limit if you live in Germany. Like.
1: Yeah, I think the autobahn is basically like just don't don't kill anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, drive safe. People drive safe. But anyhow, so given that analogy, I think there are a few different um, ways to approach an answer to this question. Um, From my perspective, I think the, the most obvious is that I would rather be able to shoot in difficult conditions and I would rather have noise than no image. So while in some cases, obviously we'd prefer to have clean, noiseless images, if you're doing work in low-light scenarios and you have to do something like freeze motion or something like that, which which is a very common shooting scenario if you're doing weddings or even if you're doing uh, reportage in low-light, um, I would always, always rather have the ability to get an image, even if it's noisy, because... Honestly, especially, um, you know, shooting with with today's cameras, the noise tends to be not only easier to control in post-production, but it's also, um, we can really crank the ISO these days. I mean, I remember uh, on my Canon XSI years ago, uh, you know, I'd be... I'd be crying at the images at, at ISO 3200 like that was already basically unusable and now I'm pushing
2: above those were the good times man.
1: Yeah but now I'm pushing like into the <laughs> 12,800 and it's a perfectly usable image and so it's it's remarkable the way that that's um, the way that that's evolved.
2: I think that's a very important component of it that this is how technology gets better. this is how it improves you know in the long term and in order to be able to raise the acceptable bar from that 3200, to 64 or even 12,800, uh, you need to keep pushing performance at the highest level and then your bar is kind of going to ri- uh, rise with it. So this is this is how technology evolves and this is how companies uh, compete with each other. And in, in terms of sensor development, uh, the two main areas where companies are just uh, innovating nonstop because that's where where they can make a difference are uh, dynamic range and high ISO performance. So it, it makes a lot of sense that they, they're going to keep pushing it as hard as they can because that's uh, that's how we are going to improve uh, the technology and maybe five years from now 12,800 is going to sound like as silly as uh, the, the, the previous limit of 3200 sounds. Today, right. uh, but the, the the point that I think Thomas was making, and and it's a pretty good one, is that once you reach twelve thousand eight hundred, you're you're basically going to be able to use almost any shutter speed that you want. So if if you're if you have to um, raise your shutter speed to freeze motion, you're talking about pretty dark uh, rooms for twelve thousand eight hundred ISO to not cut it. Yeah. So yeah, it it. it there's a limit to how much is necessary to improve, but, uh, like, for example, to, to make it a different an- analogy, if you take retina displays or high resolution displays in, in iPhones and in, in modern smartphones, we've gone past the good enough threshold a few years ago, and companies still are pushing the resolution angle. To sell more smartphones. So this is right. this is just how the industry works.
0: And to really drive up prices, like holy smokes, especially televisions. Hi, yeah,
1: Well, I mean, bigger numbers look good on spec sheets, right? right? And that's you know, the marketing angle is a big one. But I also wanted to mention, um, you know, speaking of twelve thousand eight hundred being normal, um, that's already, I mean, that exists today um, in Sony's A7S series of cameras, which uh, are, of course, designed for low light. But one of the things that I find exciting, if, if you put your, your video hat on instead of photography for a moment, um, it opens up new creative possibilities. Because knowing that you can shoot in near darkness um, means that you're now a little more flexible let's say in how you can set up a shoot so where you would otherwise have had to bring in lights and things like that that would really disrupt um, a situation they might not be appropriate depending on on what it is that you're shooting now you can have a camera body that you can crank up to isos of like three million and still use the footage right which sounds it sounds ridiculous and it's not something that maybe has uh, day-to-day utility for everybody um, but the fact that the technology exists is great because if you do require that kind of um, power and that kind of low-light ability, um, at least you know that there is a camera out there that can actually um, fulfill your your creative needs. And eventually, yes, all cameras will have the same, you know, obscene level of ISO performance. And at that point, I think the next great um, threshold to beat will be dynamic range. I think eventually we'll see sensors that are so... Um, so good at capturing wide dynamic ranges that you're probably not going to need to do bracketing anymore, exposure bracketing at least for, um, you know, HDR style images. You'll just have all of that information captured um, with the one raw image.
0: One gigantic 100 megabyte raw file.
2: That's probably (laughs) the final frontier for digital photography to catch up to film. Yep. Uh, Because this is where uh, digital sensors are still not able to match the dynamic range capabilities of most types of film. Is
0: this that conversation, Alvaro, where they're saying that a lot of new cinematographers these days are shooting movies on film because there's so much more data in the film? Is that kind of the same thought process?
2: Um, I'm not sure. There's probably a component there. Okay.
1: Well, it's it's not so much data, right? Because we're talking about the, the whole point is that when when you're talking about a film dynamic range, you can't really blow a highlight in the same way. Like it's not the Exactly. You, you know what I mean? Like Okay.
0: I misunderstood. Sorry. The
1: whole the whole concept of being able to blow a highlight or or crush shadows is is something that doesn't quite occur the same way in an analog medium. So that's I think that's what people are getting at, but um, even that, I mean, we'll we'll transcend film at some point um but but for now that is like alvaro saying that's the this i think the the final frontier as far as digital imaging is concerned is just uh broadening that dynamic range to the point where you have almost infinite exposure
0: um flexibility in post uh when you shoot raw right and i mean at the end of the day we don't we're not wedding photographers but i can't imagine we would want to deal with a bride who missed the big shot or if uh we as photographers missed the big shot because our ISOs didn't reach the high levels, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. Don't mess with a bride on her wedding day.
0: <laughs> Man, this is why we don't shoot weddings. You guys aren't even married. Oh, oh when you go through it, yeah, I trust me. Don't <laughs> poor ladies, I don't I don't blame them for being stressed out.
2: Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs>
1: Um, but you know what, to bring, it, to bring it down to earth, I actually, as it happens, I was at an aquarium, um, not yesterday evening, but the evening before, uh, shooting at night. There was like a jazz night at the, uh, at the local aquarium here in Toronto, and uh, so I was shooting in very, very low light conditions, and lo and behold, I was like, oh, I'm sure glad that I can push the ISO on my new Fuji up really high without worrying about image quality because, again, it was it was allowing me to catch fish in motion through glass in a dark environment um, and still get an image, which to me is amazing. And again, it's not a it's not a wedding. It's not some difficult scenario. It's a pretty common one, I think. Uh, you know, you're just you're visiting a some sort of place that has low light and you're not really in a position to bring artificial light with you or to otherwise, um, you know, make a better shooting environment so you just got to make
2: and and to be fair you you can't just tell the fish to stay to stay still
1: exactly i did try i did try but they're not very cooperative so (laughs) so you gotta you gotta make do and and in this instance i was very glad to be able to crank the iso up so that's just a a real world recent example but anyway hopefully that answers thomas's question i think i think it's a great one and it's something to to think about but like like with any other um aspect of of digital photography there's one side of my brain that goes hey didn't we you know pass the good enough mark years ago and you know that's true but that's not that's not how progress works so
0: um
1: marius did did you say a new fuji i don't i don't know i may have i may have let slip
2: a little tidbit yes (laughs) oh wow Wow, man, that, that no gear promise like slipped away real soon, huh? <laughs> yeah. No gear talk. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're ten, not even, oh, not even 15 minutes in and boom, yeah, not even 15
1: minutes in.
0: Yeah. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. So do you care to elaborate like for like 30 seconds?
1: All right. Well, in 30 seconds. So, uh, as you guys have probably surmised from our past episodes where we, we keep talking about me making a, a decision for my, um, my new camera system, um, I ended up making that decision last week. And so I took delivery of my brand new, wonderful Fuji X-Pro2 a few days ago. And uh, it's been by my side ever since, as you can imagine. I also also have the 35mm 1.4 Prime and the 14mm 2.8 Prime, neither of which I had shot with before. So it's a bit of an experiment for me. But so far, I'm loving both. And I'm very, very glad to have this camera back. I can't tell you how much I missed it since the uh, pre-production review unit left the house. I've been pining for it. And uh,
0: are there any differences between the pre-production and what you have in your hand now?
1: You know what? I think there's a little bit of a, um, a difference in the the fit and finish quality. I'm going to say that there, there are some um, very minor differences in the way that the buttons feel. Um, and Things like that but nothing major like there's there's no difference in the actual layout or anything like that um okay. it is running obviously a newer firmware because it's the it's final production firmware instead of uh instead of the pre-production but i haven't noticed any like major discrepancies between what i was shooting in uh you know before the holidays and and now so from my perspective that's great because i didn't i didn't encounter many issues with uh, with the
0: pre-production model awesome sweet we have a little bit of diversity on our crew. Finally,
1: yes, yeah, I did. I did heavily, heavily consider uh, adopting the uh, the Sony A7 system, um, but it just, uh, I think, I think for my particular needs and my um, preferences as far as shooting ergonomics, the uh, the Fuji ecosystem just just made more sense. Fair
2: enough. Yeah, you, you're just saying that to make us feel better, but we appreciate that. Uh, well,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, slowly but surely, I think you guys are going to come over to the dark side of... uh...
0: I think it's going to be the other way. Slowly but surely, the next one you're going to get will be on our side.
2: We're going to wear you down, man. You just think
1: that because there's two of you and there's just one of me, but I'm very stubborn. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so that is that is my new camera news. Uh, I'm very glad that uh, that I have it, and I'm looking forward to next weekend actually because I'm going up north um, to do some landscape shooting for a client, and so I, I cannot wait to uh, to put this new X Trans three sensor to work in uh, you know in a nice outdoor landscapey environment.
2: Are you gonna rent any lenses for the trip?
1: I haven't quite decided yet. So I mean, I've got this this 14mm prime, which is of course uh, perfect for the landscape work. Uh, that I'm going to be doing.
0: Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah.
1: I may rent the, uh, the 10 to 24 zoom, which I I've shot with before. And it's wonderful. I especially like the optical image stabilization because it means I can keep it off of a tripod in slightly more difficult, um, terrain and just know that I'm, I'm still getting the same optical quality cause it's, it's outstanding. Um, haven't decided yet. Uh, I might also get one of the, uh, one of the portrait primes just, so that I've got it, because you never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the North is beautiful, so I don't want to. I don't want to want some sort of closer shot and not have the the lens for it.
2: Right. Just don't take a messenger bag with you, because our audience doesn't like it. <laughs>
1: yes. <Okay. laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I have to decide on a, a backpack. And you know, I actually don't have a, a photo bag backpack like i i have i have an old backpack that i used to take to school with me and i think that's pretty much the the closest that i have to an actual like i can put camera stuff in it but i don't actually own a camera
0: backpack so i didn't until about two or three weeks ago here and i think i've converted though now i i like having a backpack it's sweet
1: i got my eye on the uh the perception pro or per, i think it's
0: perception. Right. Think tank again. Um
1: Yeah, 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 it is. Those those bags, especially in the in the tan color, that is a very nice looking bag. So, we'll have to see if I uh if I grab one of those for the trip or not, but yeah. Anyway, that's that's the gear talk
0: for the day. Boom.
1: That's the gear talk for the day, and that's done. 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 <laughs> All right. So, you guys enjoyed our last contest so much, and so did we that we decided to hold another one uh immediately. So, this time around, we're um, We've been speaking to our friends at Affinity. Uh, Affinity is a really cool outfit uh, that makes a number of um, digital apps for the Mac, uh, although they are coming to Windows as well. And uh, one of our the ones that pertains to us is obviously called Affinity Photo, and it's an extremely powerful photo editing app. Um, if you've ever used something like Photoshop before, you'll, you'll have a pretty good sense of, of what Affinity Photo is all about. Uh, It's Mac native, uh, it's in the Mac app store, lots of powerful tools, great interface. um, And we have two codes for licenses to Affinity Photo to give away. And uh, thankfully, um, it's really, really easy to enter. So all you have to do is be following our Candid underscore FM account on Twitter. And that's it. In uh, about a week's time, we're going to pick two winners and send out those codes. And uh, we encourage you to share these contest rules with your friends get as many people as you can um, entered into the contest all they've got to do is follow and uh yeah we wish everyone luck it's it's really awesome software we're actually going to be discussing it a little bit on next week's show where we are going to take a look at some of the major uh photo editing options on the market and just do a little compare and contrast see which of us uses which and uh and why and things like that. So get in on uh, on this contest. Um, there's also a link in the show notes to the Affinity Photo um, website, where you can actually
2: uh, have a look and see what the app is all about and uh, find out why you want to win it. Excellent. And also take this opportunity to ask any questions that you would like us to explore next week on the photo editing episode. Because this is a great way to, like like Thomas's question before, this is a great way to address things that you guys want to wanna know, things that you guys want us to discuss. And photo editing is a very personal topic. Everyone has uh, their own method, their own little tricks, if you will. And it's going to be exciting to explore the way we do things. We, we'd also like to know the way you do things. So by all means, please feel free to just uh, send a tweet to, uh, again, Candid underscore FM and let us know, let us know what you do and what you would like to know. And we promise we will uh, address those topics next week. All right, Josh, now you're up. Okay. Now I'm allowed to talk.
0: (laughs) I kept quiet for a little while. Okay. So over the last few weeks, we in the behind the scenes have talked about kind of what we're, um, what we as photographers, uh, where we find our inspiration, what keeps us hitting the shutter button behind the viewfinder and what makes us go outside and take photos or inside and set things up or whatever. Um, and I, I, kind of picked both Alvaro and Marius's brain a little bit about where they find some inspiration in their photos. But I like talking about inspiration is tough. Like you, you guys would agree. Hey, there's, it's it's a very uh, non uh, intangible type of topic where it's different for everybody. There's no right and wrongs, and and so on. Um, and I'm kind of in a bit of a dry spell, to be honest with you guys right now. I'm, I'm having a hard time running outside. The weather is a little drab. And, oh, I talked about Canadian weather. Crap.
2: Check. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the weather's a little drab. Um, you know, I see some photos on, like, Instagram of people traveling around the world. And all that makes me want to do is run around. And, and that's maybe where I find that my inspiration comes from is, you know, lots of travel photography on Instagram. But anyway, I want to talk to you guys about it. Because maybe it was a little bit it'd be act as a kickstart for um you know mid-april photography for myself um so yeah that was what i wanted to run past you guys for today
2: excellent but before we get into that we totally need to come up with a drinking game for the show this is this is is starting to get yeah
0: I'm guilty.
1: We got to make like a bingo card. One of them, you know, like one of those squares
2: can be Canadian weather. The other can be gear. talk. Well, actually we need a bunch for gear talk. Um, yeah. Just don't put, don't put sunny on, on the card because we're going to, we're all going to end up drunk. Then. Yeah. We'll never make it to the end
1: of an episode. We'll just pass out midway through.
2: <laughs> we recorded
0: on a Sunday afternoon and, we're all happy to yeah. tank. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. Well, back to the uh, to the topic. That is that is actually a, a really difficult question. I didn't realize it until I started thinking about it for um, for the show. I was like, oh, where where do I get my inspiration? And I I don't think I've ever um, I don't think I've ever confronted the question directly in that way. So I think uh, I think maybe one of you guys should should go first while i collect my thoughts but it is it is great and I, i'm glad that we we can talk about something that's a little less technical because this applies
0: to everybody everybody yeah. exactly, everybody yeah for sure and i i mean i'll kind of lead the way maybe because i'm the guy asking the question but um like for instance i i mean i run my little blog the newsprint on the side and i i link to a lot of photographers who i just i enjoy taking in their work um and i find a lot of them in in a specific magazine that I'll talk about more but um, most of that their work is kind of where I try to emulate it so I, I kind of I'm looking for maybe a set of photographers that you guys enjoy their work you emulate their work you kind of copy their style or use their style as an inspiration um, I'm also looking for like when you're walking around on the street like what what catches your eye that causes um, the need to fire a shutter um, like what when you see something, what would you like to take a picture of? Um, what kind of stories do you want to tell in, in your story or story in your photos? Um, right. does, does that kind of make sense? Like a little bit, you know?
2: Yeah, it does. It does completely.
1: Oh, the, the question makes perfect sense. It's just a difficult one.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, impossible to answer. Yeah.
2: I think, um, uh, photography, I kind of think about it as it being learning a new language and, and you're, you're learn to talk with images instead of words. And so that's a very important part of it for me. I'm always trying to tell something with a photo. So it's not just taking a picture of something. It's trying to tell a story, trying to use it as a creative uh, medium to, to, to right. transmit something to the viewer. And that's uh, at least the way I approach it. And in that, in that sense, I fully admit that I am a people photographer. I am fascinated by people. and so in most of my pictures, you're you're always going to see uh, the human element in some way. I'm not I've never been really that much into taking pictures of objects. Uh, I've done a fair bit of product photography for my reviews and and I've gotten better at it, but that's not where my inspiration is, so to speak. And so, I guess it's no surprise that the genres that um, I feel most comfortable in are probably street photography. I love street photography and also portraiture. Um, I'm always trying to, you know, capture people in a different light. It's not just taking a picture of a person smiling and looking at the camera that we've seen that time and time again. So, uh, the difficult part for me is to keep to keep things fresh, to always find new things to tell about a person. You may have... And, and there always are new things to tell. You may have taken a thousand pictures of the same person. And I think we are... Uh, luckily, we are complex enough that you can always find a new angle, a new, a new way to discover something that you hadn't seen before. And those little moments where you notice something for the first time, that's what really makes my day. So, yeah, I, I kind of... I gravitate towards the human part of of photography. That's what moves me. That's what inspires me. And uh, uh, yeah, that's at least that's the way it works for me. That makes
0: sense. I, that's it's a good answer. Like not uh, not that we haven't heard it before, but the language part or like as pictures worth a thousand words, right? Um, right. But some things are not worth writing a thousand words about. And, exactly. But human beings are. I mean, everybody could probably have a book written about them. So interesting way to, I, good answer. I appreciate it because I'm not a photographer, like, or, sorry, I'm not a portrait or a people person kind of uh, photographer. Like I, I'm actually the, the object kind of person. I like shooting photos of products. I like shooting photos that are like still life or, or um, I'm especially, I love travel photography so, so much. So I, I'm like exactly opposite of you, Alvaro. Maybe that's why we like argue in Slack all the time.
1: (laughs) Probably. But Josh, you said that you're feeling like you're in a slump now in terms of inspiration. So why don't, like one of the things that maybe would help is if you think back to the last time you were inspired, where did that inspiration come from? Like what what went missing to put you in
0: -hmm. in this slump? So I think um, when I talk about, uh, how do I say this? When I talk about shooting photos of products, I, I love, um, Alvaro talked about the human element and I think I could turn that around and say I like shooting um, a design element in in pr- products or objects. Um, I especially find work done by like Andrew Kim, uh, he hasn't posted a lot of stuff recently on his site called Minimally Minimal, um, but a lot of his photos in the past have kind of, I loved the way uh, he would It wouldn't be necessarily tell a story, but he would showcase the design of a product or an object in a way that I hadn't seen anybody else do online.
2: Yeah, that that side is great. I agree.
0: Right. And he's a big design guy, right? Um, He loves minimal products. He likes, um, he'll buy things that are obscenely expensive for the sake of design because it's got a cool looking design or minimal design. And then he photographs it. And I kind of, that was. I caught on to his work or I saw his work early on when I started shooting photos for the reel for, for the first time. So um, he had a really big impact on what I found attractive or or something that I liked in my images. And therefore, like the last time that I felt inspired was recently with my with that Eames. I, I reviewed the Herman Miller Eames molded plastic side chair no there's another name for you Um, but i reviewed that for tools and toys and that's like probably one of the most design centric pieces of product in my house um and so i felt really really inspired with that one um but there's like there's a lot of products in the world that don't have that like that design element they're more like a utility element do you guys know what i mean like they're meant to be used as opposed to like look really cool or um or yeah like to sit on a shelf and not be used
2: but even even in those design is a very important element and i think the people who can articulate that like that the chair that you mentioned is a perfect example that's where you get it, where you see design at its best so i definitely get the the appeal of that right
0: yeah. right it's a very hard line to toe and i'm glad i'm not a designer because that'd be so hard to to nail right every time but so anyway that I love capturing like that in a photograph how do you capture um the design of something in the right context context excuse me um you know and and how do you do that in a still life thing how do you set up the the things around that product to make it look like it's at home do, do you guys kind of Follow me. I'm, yeah. This is hard to explain. I'm realizing now how hard of a question I, is that I asked. <laughs> yeah.
1: No. But but I think you're. I think you're. Uh. You're definitely explaining the the problem very well. Right. Um. And and that's something that um. Whenever I see. I think this is what ultimately separates good product photography from bad. Setting aside um. You know the the technical details of lighting and and stuff like that is is how um how authentic they seem. Like how well are you presenting this product to me. As a, as not just a sort of object detached from reality, but an object that's being used or or exists in someone's life, um, and, and I think that's extremely difficult um, with with a lot of of objects, and that's why my my preference tends to lean more towards the uh, like you mentioned, Andrew Kim. Um, there there are several others like him who who take photos in that same style rather than the uh, the sort of traditional high fashion style product photography where it's just like a watch floating... In the middle of nowhere, right? Um, and it's yeah. you know it's a wonderful photo of the watch as far as technical execution, but it doesn't really communicate very much to me. You know, it's it's almost right. uh, b- by being obsessed on the uh, obsessed about the um, the details of the watch's construction, you kind of lose the you you lose sight of how it operates on you know in someone's life, and and to me that's just a weaker image um but that's i think that's right. the difference
0: and how do you photograph that like that's really hard it's a yeah. hard story to tell right yeah it is between you know the design the utility and being in somebody's life but then like maintaining like um a direct story in that photograph um like i follow i i'm especially big fan of serial magazine i talk about it a lot on my website and um i love um they've got a high style high fashion travel magazine but their photography is is just like stunning but most of their photographers have this style and it's like a minimal style there's um i've got a list here in the show notes of 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 their contributing photographers in the past Uh, jonathan gregson gregson uh kate holstein sharon radish like some of these photographers have a way of like their travel photography landscape photos but they're minimal enough that you get The picture do you know what i mean yeah there's not like a thousand words to read into the image there's like this very specific story um so like that's kind of where my inspiration comes in the long and short of it is how do you maintain a minimal photo with a very specific story but then like still um show off a product's design or the landscape's brilliance if that makes sense big words hard words
2: yeah it's a, th- th- that's a hard question <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah that's Josh in a nutshell
1: I don't remember who said it but it one of the things that uh, sprang to mind as you were describing that there's the, some quote about art being uh, you know art telling a different story to each person whereas design tells the same story to everyone and I, sometimes I think of of the challenges of photography that way because um, often the photographs that I'm taking for myself, I I think my hope is that they will communicate a slightly different story to everyone. And, you know, there's, there's room for interpretation. Um, Whereas, Often, when you're doing uh, client work, especially if it's product photography, the idea is to communicate the same mood or the same story or the same impression to everybody. And so it's it's just interesting to try and figure out where that line is and how you can actually make sure you're on the right side of it. And and this is where obviously that that doesn't necessarily pertain to inspiration because if you're you know being paid to do client work, then it's it's a different motivation. But um, yeah, as far as as actual inspiration goes, I think I might be closer to your camp, Josh, in the sense that I'm not. Um, it's not that I'm not interested in in people photography. It's just that I'm not. Uh, I'm not very experienced at it for whatever reason. I've I've had a lot of shooting happen, not necessarily in the realm of of portraiture or or just people photography. It's been a lot of. Um, Wildlife and still life and travel and things like that. and and those things, I, I guess that's my my safe zone where I, I feel a little more familiar. I kind of have a a good sense of of what my approach to those kinds of subjects um, is like, whereas with with people photography, I think i'm still uh, I'm still finding my way. Um, and so it's exciting, but it's also less. Uh, it's less secure right. in right. a sense because I'm still, you know, whenever I go and I have to do, you know, I'm including people in a shoot. I'm not. I go with less confidence because I'm I'm still, still trying to figure it out. And I've I've had some opportunities lately to do, um, you know, people photography for for clients, and I think I'm starting to understand h- how that's going to look. Um, but it's again, that's just that's the the least developed part of my skill set i think so
0: there's also this element of entering somebody else's comfort zone right that you don't get in still life or wildlife or travel like
2: yeah that's exactly what i like the most about it that you get to see people in a way that they don't normally uh portray themselves to to unless you unless you know them closely and and breaking that barrier and establishing that trust because it's it's all a matter of trust in the end that's what makes it click for me.
1: Yeah, the appeal is definitely there, but I think as an introvert, especially for me, that's just a difficult leap to make um, in in situations where I feel like I'm deliberately invading right a a certain yeah. moment, right? And it's I know that it's not malicious or anything like that, and, and oftentimes the subject does as well because it's you know there's just an understanding there, but it it's just a difficult feeling to shake, and I think this is why um, I have so much admiration for. Uh, excellent street photographers because they or not necessarily. I don't. I'm I'm not a big fan of of street photography as it's known today. But I, I would say that there are some um, photographers who do work on the street and and they make. Um, St- Steve McCurry comes to mind. He's obviously the famous National Geographic photographer who shot the Afghan girl for right. um the 19, whatever it was.
0: Fabulous photo. I've got
1: several of his books lying around and I I do often turn to them, uh, but it's not so much because of the images themselves. Uh, What I like is if you've ever heard him speak, um, the the way he discusses um, uh, making a, a sort of relationship with that person in order to, Earn that photograph, I think that is an amazing skill. And that's the that's what I admire most um, in, in his work and in the work of people uh, who shoot similar things. It's not really street photography in the sense of, oh, I'm just going to, you know, F8 shoot from the hip and, and catch some serendipitous moment as I wander the street. It's more, no, I'm stopping. I am deliberately having a conversation with this person or I'm entering this situation as a participant in order to make a photograph that that is not just me stealing a moment from them, it's it's actually being part of it, and that's absolutely that's tremendously difficult for me, I think, to to contemplate. But it's also, uh, if you were to ask me what I hope one day to be able to achieve in terms of people photography, that is that's the skill that I would like to have. It's not I'm not interested in street photography in the other sense very much because it's not I, I think while there's some storytelling inherent in it, um, it's just, there's less depth to those stories. And so for me, it just holds a little less um,
2: interest. And obviously that's a matter of interpretation, but yeah, that's just something that came to mind. Right. You mean those scenes where the, the photographer tries to, uh, you know, capture images while remaining unnoticed by the subjects that, that he's just like a fly on the wall and you take the picture and you go exactly, away. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that. To me as well, that's less interesting than when you clearly see that there's an interaction between the people on the picture and the photographer. Those are the pictures that really uh, have more more of an impact on me personally. And um, by the way, uh, are you familiar with the Humans of New York project? Yep. Yep. I like that. What do you think about it? Because that that has that human element, that interaction element, like in spades, <laughs>
1: Yeah, and honestly, that's exactly the kind of photo project that that I think is um, is a is a strong one. It's the kind of thing that I'd like to pursue because it's not just um, it's not just a set of photos. It's also um, there's an intent behind it. There's there's stories inherent in in just the way that that project was approached, and um, so I like it. I mean, that's that's something that uh, again, to to me, holds more appeal than the. Uh,
2: I don't even know what to call it, like the classic street photography, the right, whatever it is. Um, right. To me, one of my favorite street photographers is uh, Rinzi Ruiz. And he has this visual style that is unmistakable. He's, he creates mostly black and white pictures and they have this look to them. Uh, and I think he's a Fuji photographer, but that doesn't matter for, for what I'm trying to say. He always uh, has this... Deep blacks and uh, a lot of contrast in on, on uh, his images, and I just love the way he plays with light. Like he always, uh, he often gets uh, part of the frame obscured by a, by a shadow, and and then the person, the the subject of the photograph is the the only part that is lit. Right. And those images are beautiful. I, I every time I, I see some of his work, I I go wow. It's it's an interesting. Mm. Uh, contrast because Rinsy Ruiz, for example, is all about black and white, and the thing that I like the most about the way Andrea Jocelyn's photos look is the way he treats color. He always plays with light, sort of very golden tones, and, and the way he edits his pictures is incredible, and he has a very compelling but also a very distinctive style. I, I can look at a picture and I'm almost certain I can identify his work. Right. Because he's very consistent about the way he... He he works, and then I like that about him. And he kind of, it's similar in a way to Ruiz's photography because they're both taking pictures of everyday scenes. But Rincey Ruiz is more careful, more deliberate about his composition, I would say, whereas Jocelyn is more spontaneous. And sometimes I feel more in the mood for one, and other times I feel more in the mood for the other. But I think they complement each other very well. And that's why I kind of... That 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 contrast, I think, is interesting. And also the third one that I linked to, Ruslan Lobanov. Uh, like I said before, I'm a people person, and one of the most uh, interesting areas is the human body, exploring the human form. And the genre of art nude photography is uh, it's beautiful and it's very very powerful. I I believe. And I recently came across his work and I believe he creates, he plays with uh, setting nude portraits in urban uh, escapes or, or, or urban uh, cityscapes. And again, there's a contrast there that I think is incredible. And he always dresses his subjects like uh, like it was the 40s or or, or or the 50s or even the 30s, like
1: uh, yeah, and that outdoor that outdoor um, environment is really not a typical one for um, for for this style of photography. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember because I just recently read an article on Medium that was actually talking about um, the the whole genre of of art nude um, and and sort of it was trying to discuss uh, the appeal and how how it differs from you know just like softcore right. porn.
2: That's a more difficult part of it, right? Because it's very. To, to my mind it's very difficult to be explicitly explicitly showing parts of the human body that you associate with you know eroticism and porn and and to be able to do that and still come across as a as a mm, serious picture as a artistic picture uh, that has legitimate value and i think that's super difficult and it takes a lot of uh, careful consideration of the scene, the way you play with the light, the way you position your model. Have you guys ever heard of Bob Sala? Uh, nope. Okay. Anyway,
1: Bob Sala, um, I don't know if that's his actual name, but this is his Tumblr page and, uh, he's, he's part of a Fuji, uh, photography group that I'm on, on Facebook. Actually, that's how I discovered his work. And, uh, he falls exactly into this genre and I really admire the way that he, like, there's just a character to his portraits that I really enjoy, um, so it just, you, you reminded me, um, based on what you were saying about trying to portray the human form in, you know, situations that are not, you know, we're we're seeing parts that we normally associate with sexuality, but in contexts that are really not, it's not about that. Uh, it's about showing off the person. And to me, that's just, its it's really difficult. And he manages it very well, I
2: think. Yeah, I'm just looking at his Tumblr and it's... Yeah, it's very interesting. Kind of an analog look to most of his pictures too. And Josh, you were mentioning before. Uh, do we try to emulate those photographers mm-hmm. that we find inspirational? And I don't think I consciously try to emulate the style of any any one photographer. Uh, but there's, I'm I'm sure there's a sub subconscious, uh, blah, <laughs> uh subliminal if you will, subliminal right. element that that right. you do it without without realizing I I think that's inevitable and uh, yeah that's why it's important to keep uh, a fresh perspective to know more photographers to open your world a little bit more you know as as time goes on don't stop researching don't stop uh, getting to know new photographers don't stop widening your your perspective because that's how you evolve and eventually that's how you find your own voice
0: it's like it's like saying the best writers are the people who read the most, right? Exactly. Kind of in the same way, right?
1: So, here's a question for you guys then. Where do you actually go to discover new photographers? Like if you if you were just looking for
0: some some new inspiration, what's your first port of call? First port, Instagram's explore uh explore tab for me. Just straight up.
2: For me it's Flickr, more more than Instagram.
0: Right, like e- either way though, it is social networks either way though, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. How about you, Marius? Uh,
1: yeah, for me, it's it's definitely social networks. Um, I I don't know actually which one I spend more time on in terms of uh, like exploring whether it's Flickr, whether it's Instagram. Um, I think both of them have their own. Uh, merits as far as a, a platform for discovering new people and honestly there's there's so uh, to, to me it's wonderful because whenever I am looking for new people to follow I find them you know it's I, I feel like it's an endless well of of uh amazing work yeah. that's out there um so so whenever whenever I'm feeling like hey, you know what I could use some uh you know just a shot of of fresh perspective uh as far as images go i i all i always find people and to me that's just a, an amazing uh thing to have access to right honestly because it, it feels like it does feel like just this endless wonderful well of of not just inspiration but also um it's just nice to see that people are making it as photographers with all sorts of different styles and all sorts of different um ways of capturing things and to me that's that's reassuring
2: Yeah, it's very inspirational and it's also very humbling, right? Yes, there's that. (laughs) You see just how many talented people are out there and you, yeah, if you're not, uh, if you're not, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how to put it into words. If If you are sensible to criticism, for example, sensitive to criticism, you might sometimes get a bit discouraged because you you see tons of people and you say oh man how how am I ever going to get that good but that's the wrong way of looking at it that's exactly why you should keep looking and keep looking because that's how you learn basically and those people they also got their start uh, the same way you probably are right now so there's no reason to be discouraged but the moment where you suddenly see how big the world is that's it's humbling in a way. Yeah.
0: Where do you guys go from social networks? Is there a second port of or second avenue where you guys discover new photographers or styles of photography?
2: Well, Instagram for me would be a second. Okay. And then I've sort of played around with uh, 500 pixels or f stoppers, but they never stuck with me. Okay. They, they, I just uh, you know browse them every now and then, but I, I I don't often come back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a soft spot for for 500 pixels because. Um... The developers
0: went to my school, so I feel,
1: I feel a certain
0: another reason to move to Toronto. Check. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, <laughs>
1: they're, they're great people. Anyway, it's it's interesting. Actually, that's that's a, f- a fun point for a different episode. Is the the cultural differences in uh, those communities, you know, between Instagram and Flickr and, and 500 pixels? It's you know, technically they all have very similar mandates, but man, are they ever different! Oh yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, for for me, I don't even know if there's a second port of call because my first port is so awesome. Um, again, it's just bouncing back between Flickr and, and Instagram. I just, I find everything that I need. And I think hmm. every now and then, um, just cruising through my um, my my RSS feeds and things like that, I'll come across an article where I discover a new photographer's work. And that's always fun. Um, but it's not something that I consciously do. That's just kind of an ambient um, awareness thing that sometimes bears fruit. So,
2: Right, right. Right. right, my third port of call is Josh. What? He's always sharing links to awesome landscape uh-huh. photographers and then I Yeah, someone's reading my site. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> for example, Kate Holstein <laughs> that you just talked about Which earlier, one, sorry? Kate Holstein. Oh right, right. I never would have run into her work if not for you, because I'm not a serial subscriber and I don't really uh keep up to date with their blog either.
0: Yeah, her work is phenomenal.
2: So thank you, man, because it's it's through your links that I get to discover all of this awesome stuff. We could
0: talk about different photographers that nail things forever. Hey, like I'm just, even now I'm going through Instagram and I'm finding a whole bunch of new ones that.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's how it works. Inspiration. <laughs> Actually, speaking of magazines and subscriptions, there's a, a question in there that I wanted to, to bring to you guys. Are you guys subscribed to any photography magazines or, uh, I guess photography, heavy magazines, like a national geographic.
0: Not currently no. I used to be with uh, with National Geographic, and I I subsided that subscription. I canceled it, but I'm thinking about renewing it um, solely because of the the photography. I love National Geographic. The I think actually the one issue I have with them is that it's once a month. Like that's a lot of magazines to go through and read in a right. in a year. Um, but. Uh, for me, and then the other one is cereal. I also have uh, an off-screen. I, I have a couple off-screen magazines. I enjoy looking at. There's some photography in them. They're more about reading about people and and processes and stuff, but there is some pretty good photography in there too. Right. So,
1: yeah, I'm I'm a big National Geographic fan. I think I've been subscribed literally my entire life, either my family or myself. Wow. And my um, uh, at my mom's place, there's like an entire shelf that's just National Geographic, um, back in print. And then obviously I, I transitioned to digital at some point, but yeah, I, I do find a lot of inspiration there, uh, for the longest time. And, uh, still, you know, if anyone at National Geographic is listening, um, give me a job cause I would love to shoot for the magazine, <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, but
0: I, I've heard about stories where those, where, where some of their writers will sit and watch like an Eagle for months at a time just to get a story. Like, is that true?
1: Oh yeah, it's it's true. I think of any wildlife photographer, you'll you'll hear similar wow. stories because that's ultimately wildlife photography is waiting. Um, that's that's what it all boils down to. There's a lot of waiting involved in good landscape in good uh, wildlife photography. Because what what bothers me, and this is a slightly different topic, but what bothers me is photographers who shoot wildlife, but they tamper with the animal's life to do so. Like they try and pose it, or they try and. Uh, you know, just do things that you're not really supposed to do and that can either hurt or upset or stress the animal. And I'm, I'm not a fan of that at all. Um, I think I have the most respect for photographers who wait for those opportune moments, who wait for the authentic moments. You know, it's, it's not about you trying to force the animal to do what you want it to for a photo. It's about capturing the actual lifestyle of whatever the critter happens to be. And that takes patience. Ultimately, because
0: extreme patience apparently. Yeah, and it's, it
1: does sometimes. I don't remember which uh, which cover or feature story they had, but it's probably lots of them where they were, um, you know, they were out there for weeks and weeks and weeks tracking their subject, and they didn't find it until you know one of the last days they managed to you know finally get a shot out. And I, I just think of the the fortitude they must have to be out in these wilderness conditions for like three weeks at a time, and then have this split second moment in the fourth week. And be able to nail the shot, right? Like, imagine doing, you know, hard trekking in cold, awful environments for three weeks and getting no images and then on the spot being forced to grab, uh, you know, a cover image for National Geographic, uh, you know, spontaneously. On the- <laughs> wow. And
0: then imagine missing it. <laughs> oh, I'd be so mad.
1: You know what I mean? Like, it's just. Think of the, think of the, the pressure and the skill and everything. Like it's just, it's, it's, I have tremendous respect for those photographers. And, and so anyway, I, I do maintain my National Geographic subscription and I do sometimes discover new photographers because they do, uh, you know, sometimes they bring in new people for, uh, for some of their smaller stories. But by now I think I probably follow all of the regular contributors, um, and it's it's interesting, like they all they all have their own unique styles and things like that. But there's there's a lot to learn, especially from the ones who also have their own independent blogs and things like that, where they discuss these kinds of things, and you learn what goes into some of those images. Um, and to me, that's amazing, and I, I appreciate that the magazine itself will sometimes have like a behind the scenes video of what went into a certain shot. And it's just you know, as someone who takes photos, that's, that's very, very good information because right.
0: we should start a segment on that sometime. Like we find a photo that we find online and we go, Hey, how did they shoot that? We've talked about this before, haven't we?
1: Yeah, we have. I, I wouldn't mind doing that. We'd have to, you know, Hey, audience, let us know if,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. if that would be something you're
1: interested in. Cause I think we'd, we'd love to unpack some of our favorite images and see if we can,
0: you know, work out how they were accomplished okay so basically like i magazines are probably the most expensive way of finding inspiration for photography like i i'm more than willing to throw 20 to 30 dollars at a a really high-end photography magazine if it means that i can find inspiration for my own work but but you know the accessibility to instagram and Flickr is and the fact that well it's free um free in money terms um You know, like that makes those tools like they're not just social networks. Like for me, they're actually tools. Like Twitter is just kind of a bunch of people who jibber jabber about a whole bunch of nonsense. But like Instagram to me is a tool. Flickr is a tool. And they come, you know, that tool there is a shape. Its shape is inspiration for me.
2: Right. And magazines like the National Geographic add the value of curation. Right. you, You know that not every, not your average Joe is going to be, doing a reportage on national geographic so you have that uh, they act as yeah curators of the vast number of photographers out there they select their their editors select the very best and those are the ones that you see so in a way you're trusting their their filter
0: right good point good point
2: right and social networks are the value is in its sheer uh, size in, in in raw numbers you get millions of people using the same social network and it's up to you to do that uh you know uh, that filtering right that was a
0: full hour guys basically of talking about inspiration like (laughs) an intangible thing no gear no nothing it's possible believe it or not
1: (laughs) i was just going to make fun of josh because we we could have actually talked about how sometimes your gear inspires you to shoot things
2: oh let's do that let's do that yeah oh Oh. No, we said no, we said no gear. I'm
1: trying to, I'm trying to behave. <laughs> guys. I'm trying to curb my enthusiasm here. Okay, um, But yeah, no, some, sometimes, I don't know, at least for me, that, that is actually a factor. Um, I've discovered for better or for worse, um, the gear that I shoot with does make a difference in whether or not I actually want to go out and, and shoot. And it also sometimes... For instance, when I had the 16mm Prime, the, the Fuji 16mm, I found myself wanting to experiment a lot with it because it, it was a focal length that I'd not used before. And the fact that it actually focuses so close and can do, uh, it can really throw your backgrounds um, beautifully out of focus because it's a it's a 1.4. Um, that was just a, a whole look that I had never experimented with before. So knowing that I, that I had access to it all of a sudden made me want to go out and just find out what you know, because for for me at least, you know, if you if you don't do a lot of traveling, um, or, or you're you're frequently finding yourself traveling to the same sorts of places, um, you you almost forget what's interesting, right? It sort of becomes invisible to you, and and this is part of what um, makes travel photography so exciting. Is even if you're going to some place where the locals are like, yeah, it's just you know it's mundane, whatever. Um, to you, it's fascinating because you've you you do not see it every day, right? So you you pick up on on. Angles and and nuances that that they might have missed um, or not be interested in anymore. Uh, but anyway, for for me, I think part of the part of the contribution of gear to the topic of conversation uh, of of inspiration is that when you have a new piece of gear or you have something that opens up new shooting possibilities, it forces you to reconsider your normal shooting environments because suddenly you have a new way of looking at it or a new way of shooting it, and that in itself is inspiring.
0: Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Like for instance, I would love to have a telephoto lens and use and shoot landscapes with a telephoto lens instead of like a wide angle lens. So you're totally 100% right. Um, a new lens for me would open up an entirely new avenue of
2: photography. Yeah.
1: It's like, it's like, you know, I might want to shoot um, birds for instance, but if I don't have that kind of telephoto lens, it's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> it's just not.
2: And That's a very important factor. I mean, the gear that you That you use, and especially if it's new gear to you, it's always going to open up new uh, new ideas for you. But I think it's important to uh, remind people that this is sort of like the minor, uh, the, the the yeah the minor aspect of it. Like it's it's not necessarily good for you to think that gear is the only thing that can inspire you, right? So if you get the gear eventually that's okay that's great but many people think that they need a new piece of kit to be able to continue to take photos and that's in my way the wrong way to go about it because uh, basically you're 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 going to spend a fortune in the end if you keep just buying new stuff so that you can keep taking pictures uh, and in, in my mind you should totally uh, invest in that uh, mental aspect of it in that creative aspect of it that's going to make a much greater impact and a much more long-lasting impact on your photography the gear helps definitely the gear helps but
0: this is definitely the most expensive way of finding inspiration like by far 10 times more than a magazine (laughs) Or, or more.
1: When you hear from from any experienced photographer, though, that's that's what they say, right? Like, don't focus on the gear. But I think that when when you take that to heart, you just it's just important to to remember that there is you know the gear is an element um, worth considering. It should absolutely not be the 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 primary source of inspiration. I think that's uh, that's that's definitely the case. But I also think it's worth acknowledging that um, your gear will have an influence, and uh, it's it's not it's neither good nor bad. It's just an influence and, yeah, and but
2: that's the the element of instant gratification, right? That you can yeah. just buy a new lens and just that right that minute you are empowered to go explore something new. And the doing things the other way takes time, yes. takes effort, yeah. takes more difficult. It takes a lot more work yeah. to get there. And so it's understandable that people wanna take the shortcut, but it is a shortcut in the end and it's not really it's not gonna take you to the same place.
1: No, I, that's absolutely true. Although I will say that one thing um, that that I think you lose sight of often when you're when you're looking at at new gear is that a lot of times if you wait a little bit after its release, you can actually rent things like new lenses, and sometimes that's enough, right? If you just need a little spark of inspiration, um, just you know rent a lens for a weekend, and suddenly it's you know it might be a lens that you would never be able to justify buying because you have no reason to own it, but it might be. It just, you know, something to get you out and shooting. Like I did that, um, I don't know, several times now when I go to something like the zoo, right? You know, I'll buy or I'll, I'll rent rather a, some crazy telephoto lens that I would never, ever own, right? I could never justify owning it, but it's, it's perfect for that, you know, little weekend shoot out somewhere. Um, and it just, it gets the creative juices
0: flowing. Right. Another good example is a fisheye lens. Yeah, definitely. I don't know why I would ever need a fisheye lens on a normal basis, but holy smokes, is it fun to shoot with one for a day or two?
2: Right. And that's where I'm most jealous of you guys, because here in Spain, especially if you're not living in a big city like Madrid, uh, basically if you're living in any other city, other than Madrid or Barcelona perhaps, your choices, uh, your rental choices are very, very limited you may be able to find something for a canon or nikon but if you're using a different camera maker then then you you're you're on your own your only way to test new gear is to buy it and you can buy it used you can buy it new and then use it for a couple of days and return it or you know tricks like that you can always kind of do something but but it's a, a lot of hassle it's a lot of and, and you're also taking on a huge amount of risk because if you buy a lens just to try for a couple of days thinking, I'm going to return it, and one day you drop it and, or, and it gets a scuff or something, you're not going to be able to return that lens. So now, you, now you're stuck with it. And yeah, that's the part where I always read about you guys uh, in Canada and also in the United States, of course. You see how all of the options to rent pretty much any lens out there and I get super jealous.
1: Yeah, it's it, that. That's one obvious advantage of of being in a uh, like a city center of some sort is that you tend to have access to those sorts of things. Um, but I'm a little surprised. Like, it, do you not have um, like any small independent lens rental um, outfit? around there because I, I find obviously the, the best prices even here in Toronto are not from the the big stores you know obviously they've got uh, a lot of availability but there are quite a number of just small businesses that do like Sony lens rentals and that's it I think
2: there's one uh, outlet that rents Sony lenses and it's they are pretty expensive because they are aimed at videographers especially oh right okay and they charge like a, pff, insane prices for a day uh, and they don't have that many Sony lenses by the way so it's not really it's not really a, uh, an option there are a few uh, independent outlets for Canon and Nikon, and I did rent uh Canon lens recently the one I took with me to paris yeah and it was a fantastic experience and that made me even more jealous because I wish we had that for you know other lens manufacturers like olympus back when i when I was shooting with the a m ten as my primary camera i would I would have loved to be able to rent the 75 millimeter f1.8 for example which is a fantastic lens and and these specialty lenses that you're not going to want to own exactly exactly what you guys were saying and but but playing with them for a couple days are is is lots of fun
0: i think it needs to be said that i'm incredibly jealous about the fact that you can hop on a train and see like the most beautiful part of the entire world and we got to fly over an ocean in order to see it so ha.
2: well you're closer to new york uh, so that kind of evens it out a little bit.
0: It's a cool place, but I don't, the history <laughs> and stuff out in Europe is that there's inspiration like just brimming. Okay. I was overboard, but
1: yeah. But see, it's funny because Alvaro's Alvaro's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. History blah. You guys have rentals, and we're like, ah, forget rentals. You've got history. So
2: it's just the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that's what I was that's what I was saying, right? Like you, some some things become invisible to you when you've lived in in a place for a while. So it's uh, I, I think that the most interesting. Um, skill to learn as a photographer is being able to put your tourist hat on essentially in the, in the place where you live, like just look at your home the way a tourist might look at it, because then you, you once again start to pick up on, on things that normally you just wouldn't care about, or you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't want to photograph, but you realize um, you know, with, with an outsider beginner's mind kind of perspective that it's uh, it's actually interesting and there's lots of photographic opportunities almost anywhere you are in the world yeah. Yeah. you know it's just a matter of of seeing them and knowing how to take advantage
2: it's a really fun exercise yeah definitely and don't get me wrong i mean i love living in europe i wouldn't i wouldn't want to move away from here because yeah you would yeah Toronto. being able to travel <laughs> to italy and france and germany and the uk all in the in the span of a couple hours that's that's fantastic and so i'm i'm not complaining at all i was just making that tiny observation about the lens rentals but yeah
0: oh it wasn't tiny we spent like 10 (laughs) minutes talking about
2: it but it's kind of uh, a nice oh i'll stop now i'll stop now (laughs) i don't think it classifies as gear talk per se so we're we're good we're talking about inspiration no
0: you're right you're right hey this has been good So, Josh,
1: do you feel more inspired?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, we're, Jacqueline and I are booking our flights this afternoon, so that'll be big time inspiration right there.